Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. the front three you're not adam boltwood correct i'm Lawrence mckenna and welcome to uh the the week's podcast where the champions league is well it's it's different i'll give you that uh dave from squawker dave o'brien welcome hi Lawrence. how's it going pal good did you enjoy the the champions league this week yeah it was absolutely excellent Bayern munich arsenal was my particular highlight i'd say more on that in just a second but uh, seeing as adam isn't here this week i've had to take up the main uh, the middle role, if you will. Um, and Kristen has taken up my role, essentially. So, Chris, you're somewhat of a number 10 cutting out. Right. OK, I'll keep that in mind for the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, so the more cutting out, the better. All right. Okay. Uh, now, guys, uh, comment of the week this week. I'm choosing the comment of the week. The reason I'm choosing the comment of the week is because, Dave, I, I sent you this picture earlier in the week. I haven't replied on Twitter because I wasn't quite sure how to reply to someone drawing such a lovely picture of me. But... Um, Julia Baines has drawn a picture of me. Have you seen this picture? It is absolutely incredible, I'd say. I love the the use of the camera. It's part of your life, that, isn't it, Lawrence? The camera. She's drawn a great... She's drawn this fantastic image, uh, all with pencil. It says it took quite a few hours. Um, She said she had a horrible scan of it, uh, of my original picture, but she wants a full one of my face. I genuinely have no good photos. uh, She's doing a cracking job on your abs. It, yes, weirdly, <laughs> but she cropped those out in the way that she, uh, it, when she scanned it over to me. I don't know what she sent to you, Kristen. Um, and that tattoo. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't even know how she knew you had that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you informed her. Um, now, th- thank you very much, Julia. Lovely to have you on the show and lovely to have you listening slash watching. Um, we will see you again when we get our T-shirts, right? Yeah. Uh, T-shirts real soon. Anyway, uh, Adam's not here this week. We'll make his excuses for him at some point. Um, let him know that you miss him on the show. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Done. I heard right. that he'd moved to Somerset and become a, a pig farmer, Lawrence. Is there any you know truth in these reports? I think uh, you were right in saying pig something, but I'm not sure what he became, Dave. Yeah, he's been making something squeal, but then being piggies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> What up? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> anyway, what are those? No one knows. Um, so uh, let's get down to it. Champions League stuff. Uh, Kristen, let's come to you first on this one. Now, people are saying Arsenal, the immovable force coming up against uh, Bayern Munich, the completely movable force. Uh, and we saw it play out exactly like that. Yeah, the, their movement is exceptional. I really enjoy watching Thiago play more than anything. Oh, I, yeah. I just like him. He's very fluid. 
um, in the way that he, he operates. What you can say is this was a, a good performance in the sense that it got them the victory. I don't think it was the masterstroke maybe that many people painted out. It was very simple in that sense. It was just sit deep, spring the counter. The biggest takeaway I took from it is that Manuel Neuer might not be an, a human being <laughs> because he made some ridiculously good saves. Even the, the second goal, he had no right to get close to it and somehow he's managed to palm it, albeit from behind the line. He still managed to palm it away. So the, there's there's big takeaways from Arsenal. The thing you also have to look at is in the same way they showed mental strength, they also highlighted their mental fragility compared yeah. to the performances previous. And that's always been the problem with them. And it's it's what I tend to say to most Arsenal fans is if you could just get some consistency with that and, and stop almost shooting yourself in the foot or finding inventive ways to do that, I think you'd be onto a winner and have a lot more silverware at the club. If you could just get some consistency. Um, but that seems to be part of it, doesn't it? Is, you know, how the hell do you get consistency from... Uh, aside essentially Dave where sometimes tactically it's not going to play out the way you want and that's where Kristen was sort of alluding to this wasn't he that basically I mean it, it, it seems very simple when you look at it but basically Arsenal they didn't sit back but they were pressed back and played the game right they're but, a big club that struggle to do big club things like mm. beating teams like Dinamo and, and Olympiacos but when they're up against someone who's even bigger than them which I think is fair to say by and they seem to be able to pull it out. And and that's the problem. I think they're just caught between two different ideas and ideologies. Well, that's the problem think, that a lot of people are talking about, isn't it, David, the ideology? Yeah, I think that's a massive thing. It's sort of like, you know, in the Premier League, Arsenal will smash teams by, you know, holding the ball, playing lovely football, one-touch stuff, um, really dominating games with possession. But then we've seen recently um, the Manchester United game, Arsenal were absolutely fantastic on the counter-attack. There were issues with Manchester United's pressing. I've highlighted that on my YouTube channel. If you want to check that out, it's a long video, but I'll go into more detail about what Man United's pressing. But you've got to credit Arsenal on the counter-attack. You know, Alexis Sanchez, Ramsey, Walcott and Mesut Ozil are really coming together. And we saw that sort of again in the in the uh, Bayern Munich game. I thought Arsenal defended really, really well. Um, two banks of four. It was simple, simple stuff. I think Guardiola made a bit of an error with, with uh, in the second half where he pulled Thiago back. Similar to Christian, I absolutely love Thiago. He's such a wonderful player. But Pep Guardiola withdrew him to one of the deep-lying central midfield positions. And then Bayern stopped getting the ball in those dangerous areas. And it got the job got a lot more easier for Arsenal to sit back in the two banks of four. There were, no, there were moments in the game where there was eight Arsenal defenders to the two banks. And then there were only three Bayern players, you know, either within the line or you know, deep sort of on one of the attackers. So Pep really needed to change it, needed to bring on another attacker, get Thiago further up pitch, and he sort of made mistakes. So I do think Arsenal deserve a lot of credit how they, they took the win. Ozil was brilliant again, but Pep sort of tactically got a number of things for me wrong in the game. Yeah, um, and that's, that's one point definitely worth making is that Pep, I mean, I guess with the, the, the clarity of hindsight, Chris, everything is, it's not always 2020. Sometimes it isn't because some people misanalyze. Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's all well and good us sort of saying, oh, you know, Pep made mistakes, I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. But it, certainly from Arsenal's point of view, everything played out really well. One thing I would take away from that is, is it, I, I don't think it's a misnomer to say that Arsenal are a possession-based team, but I don't necessarily think that dominance of possession is necessarily their focus. I'm like, do you know what I mean when I say that? In the, mm. uh, they, it, it isn't the be-all and end-all for this Arsenal side. Uh, you know, like, for instance, they didn't dominate possession. I, I don't think they dominated possession when they won against Spurs just a few weeks ago. And I know they've dominated possession, but what I think is their style of play means that the other side almost let them dominate possession. 
And what we saw was that they, it's not necessarily that they play a possession based game. They just play, it's just almost a byproduct of what they do that therefore allows them possession. But that, that mean, almost drags the focus away from the good things that Arsenal do. So when they have less possession, people are like, oh, well, that's not the Arsenal way. And I almost wonder if that's a bit of a, a misnomer in analysing this Arsenal team and what their strengths are. I don't think it's the cornerstone it once was. Yes. Uh, I think what you could say is there are a multitude of different ways to win win league titles. And I think certainly there was a period where Arsenal used possession to it. do that. You've said it. Arguably when it was ahead of the curve in terms of teams trying to do it. What I would also look at is, and maybe Dave can talk to this to a greater extent, is when I think back to, to Manchester United, kind of their period of dominance... I could never really define their tactical style. I could never say, well, it's this or it's this and they always do this. They were very adaptable and they were also willing to do different things for different opponents. So if the opponent was, you know, on average shorter than them, they might be a bit more aerial in their approach. If they were a bit more bulking and slow, they'd try and pass it around them. And I think if you look maybe across the board, across the leagues, the teams that really have sustained dominance are those that are adaptable in the sense that they're happy to mix things up. And, And that's where I think... Arsenal are at this point where they've started to realise, albeit longer than you would hope for them to to do that, that we need to be able to change things up. We need to be able to bring, for example, Olivier Giroud on and and get someone who can go up against Jerome Boateng in the air because Theo Walcott can't. But prior to that, they were trying to get Walcott in behind. And it's that that evolution. That does allude to a question, though, which is partly why is it that when... Uh, Arsenal play Walcott, people say you should have played Giroud. And why is it that when they play Giroud, people say you should have played Walcott? Is that people thinking they know better than Arsene Wenger? Or is there is there something in that? It's because everyone says, well, you shouldn't have sailed into the ta- into the iceberg with the Titanic. It's it's, it's basically hindsight. I mean, th- this is the problem I think we suffer with a little bit in this industry, in this game, is that everybody has the answers after the 90th minute because everything's been said and done. The question you have to ask yourself in relation to, to Bayern is what's better for you to have? Someone who can hold the ball up and bring other players in or someone who can stretch Bayern and make it so they can't push up and further and camp you in your own half? Sure. If I'm guessing, I would say probably the second one, purely yeah. because you, you need to, to get yourself up the pitch. And if you're going to try and do that with, for example, Giroud, it's going to be really difficult because you're going to have to then try and maintain the ball against a team you know is is very good at pressing, is very good at shutting off space and winning the ball back. And the fact that their possession wasn't the greatest in the first half, the fact that they couldn't really string much together, proved that. And so you needed Walcott to pull wide, which he loves to do, like a winger, and stretch things and take Boateng into places he didn't want to go. And so in that sense, I, I think he makes the complete right decision. And then towards the end, maybe when things have stretched themselves sufficiently, you then bring on someone like Giroud so you can throw it in the box just like they did for the free kick. And it's the right decision, essentially. Of course, there's a chance that goes horribly wrong. But I think you've got to just give Wenger some credit for once and say he made the right decision for the right time. Pep was somewhat forced into the decision once or twice. Uh, I think his first sub was pretty much an enforced decision, wasn't it? And so from there, you'd say it's not always... I mean, there's game management, but then there's also things not necessarily going to plan aren't there um so that's 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 one aspect the the positive comes from this is that arsenal have won the first game of the games that they need to win here dave so that i mean that's fantastic and they still have mathematically a chance of getting out of that this group especially considering their opposition that they still have to play 
Yeah, I think so. You've got to probably hit around nine points to have a real good chance of going through second place. So if they do lose to Bayern away, which potentially could happen, if they put in another you know, stellar performance and they get that little bit of luck, and like Kristen's saying, they use Theo Walcott on the counter-attack, open up the space for the attacking midfielders, then bring Giroud on. They could do a job over in Bavaria, but they still have those two remaining games against you know weaker opponents, you'd say, yeah. in uh, Olympiacos and in Zagreb, that they should Arsenal should be beating these teams. Um, didn't we see Arsenal a few seasons back actually have to go to Olympiacos and have to pick up points, if I remember correctly? Uh, um, I, maybe I last year, year before? Uh, yes, I think you're right in saying that. So, it's a tough place to go, though, Olympiacos. It's, it's not an easy place to try and get points. I remember Newcastle going there many, many years ago. And while they did win quite comfortably, the, the atmosphere and everything towards it isn't great. And when Olympiacos know that they've almost got the advantage in that sense... It's not somewhere I'd like to try and pick up points. I mean, to be fair, and, it's also that they're playing Olympiacos for those points. So it's not as if they're playing Olympiacos yeah. in a dead rubber for Olympiacos. Yeah. They're playing, you know, they're playing a team who are competing against them now because of the, because they should have beaten them in the other situation. Mm-hmm. So That's Arsenal. The that up is going, the problem with Arsenal. I, I tweeted that out kind of jokingly the other week when when Giroud scored and said, you know, Giroud is kind of like that bad partner your friend has, where every time they tell you what they've done good, you have to remind them about Olympiacos. Because it's, it, it's, it's just a, a lack of consistency. And it goes back to that main point, even with the players. And then you kind of add to that vicious cycle the loyalty that Wenger consistently shows them year on year. They'll have moments like Bayern every season, I would argue, where they outperform what you expect of them. But what does it achieve in the greater picture? To be brutally honest, not a lot if we're looking historically. But Even the I win against it, Manchester but, United, it, I can't see them achieving anything notable this season outside of the top four, which for them is, is kind of par for the course now. But then what if you were to apply the Klopp, uh, the, the Klopp analysis or the Klopp trope, which would be at least we're winning or losing in our own way? I guess that's the problem, isn't it? Is that when they do lose, then there do, does seem to be something which isn't their own way. So you're, what you're saying is Arsenal... That there's this social idea that Arsenal are a controlling, a, you know, a controlled classy side, and actually throughout the years, Wenger's had a pretty poor discipline record from a lot of his players. Jurgen Klopp won a title though. That's but, so, but, so is, but so is Wenger. I mean, so, I mean, two. Yeah. A long but, time but so ago. Is Wenger. No, but still, what I'm saying there, Chris, I, I guess it still applies, Chris, is that when it goes wrong for Arsenal, it tends to be something that is it's not out of their control, but it, it distorts the analysis somewhat, like. You know, you can't. You're, they've almost they've almost failed themselves. Do you know what I mean by that? And there's something. What, sorry, Lawrence. It's, it's it's what like Kristen got to before. They they don't do it enough. I think that's the biggest issue is that they can't change their style up enough. You know, Alex Ferguson was the greatest manager of all but time. Clearly, they can, Dave, because they did that the other night. But then I feel that maybe there's something wrong in terms of their. You know, there's something wrong there with their scouting network, their analytics that's not getting Arsenal to set up in certain ways. You know, there's, there's, for example, you couldn't say that Arsenal can go and bully a team physically. Man United always found a way <laughs> I, to I'd do that. I argue with that, but all right, yeah. <laughs> in a way that, you know, in central midfield, who would you put next to Cockerland to really go? Martin Keown. Yeah, he's gone, mate. He's done. If you're going to stick Murtasaka in central midfield, right, just go and do it. All right, you know, right. just put the put your balls on the table and just do it. But what Wax I see with Arsenal is that lack of ability to, for example, I don't feel that they could play, you know, aggressive football in a way in central midfield, bullying teams out of possession. Yeah, they kind of done the counter attacking system, but there is still holes in that issue. And then their ball play, they haven't got the the complement of the squad might not be 
quite right yet. I think that's the sum of it in a way. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I obviously listen to other podcasts. There are some good podcasts out there. Um, one thing I'm interested in is what you guys think of Amy Lawrence's theory that Thierry Henry is being readied as the next coach for Arsenal, uh, with with maybe a Patrick Vieira in there as well. Well, Vieira's been linked to uh, New York City FC this week, so I think well, he's well. I mean, firmly well, there you go. Then. Well, the... he's not doing it then, is he? <laughs> well, I was going to say I think he's firmly entrenched in the the city family in that sense, and the, the opportunities they can give him because he'll be allowed to kind of grow in his own way in New York without maybe the pressure of Arsenal, which I think would would give him. I'm not sure if I see Henri as a coach. Do you guys? It's it's not something I can picture. He, apparently, he's with the under-19s at the moment at Arsenal. Um, I don't know how well they're doing. It, it, you know, it was a pretty vague description, but you know that, that that's where he is. I just I'd can't, be curious I really to see what he'd be like. It. Yeah, I, I just don't feel like you know from seeing him on Sky Sports, which is a is a massive generalisation in terms of his coaching ability. But <laughs> yes, he because seems... he's not necessarily coaching on Sky Sports. But, but I'll what, let you have the I'm, point. <laughs> what I what I mean with that is that there's no there's no real sort of knowledge of the whole game. He knows goal scoring. He knows playing as a striker. What Omri would be excellent as would be a sort of an attacking coach, maybe. But I don't know if he's got the the whole picture in a way seems like he he might be very very strong in terms of attacking football in a way but has he got the ability to play a pragmatic style that Arsenal do need as we've mentioned they do need to be able to be pragmatic could Henri do that I don't know maybe we've got to go and watch his under 19s team and then we can find out what you know how they play how they adapt it's all speculation it really lads good point I feel like he'd be a technical director that when I look at him I just feel like yeah he'd be someone who'd sign you the players and speak to them but not someone that would necessarily coach them Okay. Moving on, guys. Um, here we go. What about uh, the nil-nil in Paris, Dave? What are you saying about this? Real Madrid versus Paris Saint-Germain, uh, two huge money houses of Europe meeting each other and uh, coming out with a nil-nil in the end. A lot of people saying it's weird because the English press always paint it as Rafa Benitez bunkering down. Um, yeah. But it, it's not always that way, necessarily. He did dig a trench on the sideline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think this is what we're going to see from uh, Rafa's Real Madrid, is there will be performances away in Europe where they will may not score goals. Obviously, we do expect Ronaldo to score a goal a game, but he's he is human after all. But I think with that game, it's neither team needed to win the game. There was nothing really on the game, settling for a draw. I think they're both now qualified, is that correct? They're both on nine points. They're pretty much there. They're both on seven points seven? at this point, Dave, yeah. Sorry, my maths is terrible. Yeah. It's awful coming because from that, a mathematics because, student. Well, that, that draw meant that they got the point each, obviously. Um, but th- what you would say is, you know, with other people in their group, then, you know, such as Shakhtar, such as Malmo, Malmo sitting on three, Shakhtar sitting on zero, you know, then we're looking at a, a different proposition. Yeah, that's what I'd say. It's pretty much, you know, that, that group was done when it was drawn in a way where they, they, there's are these two powerhouses who throw the cash at things and they sort of get thrown. It's quite interesting to see Angel Di Maria's form again, Laurent Blanc coming out this week and slating him, saying he's got to up his performance. What happened to that Di Maria in the Champions League final that was unbelievable? Where did he go? Manchester. Well, it does somewhat um, does somewhat allude to a point that maybe you made uh, on a tweet earlier in the week, Dave. <laughs> I did, um, yes, I did. Uh, Kristen, uh, uh, that, that's a follow-up question from that, uh, from Piot, I think it's Gala, might be Gala. Um, it's, it, he says, how is Shakhtar Donetsk able to develop so many talented players such as Mkhitaryan, Douglas Costa, Teixeira, Bernard, etc.? Um, uh, it's an interesting question. I'm not quite sure. Sh- 
yeah. Anyway, well, they're not they're not schooled at Shakhtar. That's something important to kind of differentiate. Is yeah. that they come from other clubs. What I would say is, while you may question the quality of the Ukrainian league, they do also give them an opportunity in the Champions League, and I think that is an important thing to remember because it's a big stage. It's a chance to impress, and I think you mix that with the fact that. There are still quality teams in, in the Ukrainian league. You've got Dynamo Kiev as, as a good example. Dnipro. Dnipro, and another one, obviously, that, that Konoplyanka came from. So there is a competition level in there that can improve players. And I think the fact that they've had money means that they can sign naturally very good players. There's only really, I would argue, Mikitarian that came from quite a lowly team. Um, and even I believe that was I think that was a, a domestic move. I think he was a Metalodonect, possibly. And so even then you're you're seeing someone who's thriving in that league already. So what they're doing is while on the surface it seems like unearthing these talents and taking them huge strides, actually I would argue they've probably made a good portion of the journey already themselves. And in that sense you could best describe Shakhtar as something of a finishing school. My feet. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'd say, they've, they've invested very heavily in their, their facilities before, obviously, the Ukrainian crisis. Mm. They had one of the best youth academies in the world. Apparently, yeah, they had That doesn't exist anymore, well, yeah, it's, it's been blown up, which is yeah. very, very sad. Same with the Donbassi Arena that's been shelled. A beautiful, you know, play, a, a beautiful arena. It's just a, it's a shame, really. But then yeah. that's what war does to you, eh, Lawrence? Yes. You, you've been to the, I imagine you've been to the Donbass, right? I have, yes, and it was. What did, what did you think of it? How it, it was, do you not like how old it is or anything? Uh, did I not like, like how old it is? No, is it a relatively old stadium? No, actually. Uh, I mean, if you go there, it is a utopia. Um, okay. If you go, I mean, if you go to Donetsk itself, then it is very much a mining town that's been bought by a you know billionaire and made into. Uh, an asset for himself and you know i think that everyone was very grateful there it was uh it was a bit of a surreal experience because they're clearly on the charm offensive when i went in 2012 but it's a beautiful place i mean the, the stadium was fantastic facilities fantastic obviously you know i was in quite a luxurious part of it but there's there were kind of grounds outside the stadium where you know people could sit before the game there was a really nice calm atmosphere and it was an international game but there was still a really nice calm atmosphere a lot of good fans granted there were some russians there at the time as well and they were particularly welcome at that moment either but it was still um it was still you know there was very much a party atmosphere and you know it was a it was a good place to go i, I think it's sad the way that that's gone not only you know footballing wise but just politically as well because mm. um, the guardian did a documentary our, our good friend andy Russell put mm. it together and it was, re- it was really good and the reason i asked how old it was i just checked it there it's 2009 it was opened it yeah. did look like quite an old stadium in that sense it looked <laughs> The thing it invoked in me was, this is like Eastern Europe, the block, the 90s, USSR. That was the vibe it, it, I got. I don't know if you got the same. It looks a bit like a, a UFO at night. Did they show it at night? No. Ah, so what it does at night, which makes it look very futuristic, is it lights up blue all the way around the outside. Oh, nice. Uh, and it's it's be- really beautiful. Um, it was really beautiful. Um, <laughs> and it, 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 it sort of had, there were monuments to soldiers and there are there were there was actually a lovelock bridge which was very sweet um and it was all connected to the stadium so it was somewhat it looked like a place you know when you see an architect's drawing mm. that's exactly the way that it looked oh, um nice. and it was lovely uh, it's just a shame they don't play there right now i think they're playing kiev don't they 
yes. Some, yes. some distance away, I believe. Man City, you were at home facing Sevilla. What could have been a draw at one point became a win. And Kristen, uh, the ultimate win in this one is that Man City fans, like they do consistently, got to boo the Champions League anthem. And now people are talking about them being fined for doing so. Yeah, I think you were going to investigate it. What are they going to... Was there booing? Yes. Brilliant. I was going to say, yeah, it seemed like a fairly ordinary shot case to me. Yeah. Did I someone think... boo here? Yes. Right. <laughs> Okay. I think the, the incident was all to do with um, the CSKA fans um, racially abusing uh, Yaya Torre and other uh, Man City players uh, last year and the UEFA fine that was pitifully small. Not exactly sure how much it was, but th- this is the reason behind the booing. And I do kind of think that the booing was completely correct. And now Man City are getting fined. It just shows, obviously, it does show the corruption, doesn't it? In I'm, not, I'm not sure game. it does really, but, but is it, does it really matter if the booing is correct? Or not? I mean, obviously they're not booing a player. You know, they're it's not booing for racial reasons. Episode, the, one, the one where uh, Smithers is next to Burns. You know, they're saying boo to Philanthem. <laughs> and it's. It, <laughs> I, I agree with Dave, though. I think. Look, Chris, this is about freedom of speech and a corporation. Mm. And the problem we have as fans, to put us in that pigeonhole for a second, is that we essentially have the same complaints year on year that UEFA, FIFA, etc., hand out disproportionate punishments for the wrong things that, you know, it, it is a, a boys' club that's locked off into its own mind and doesn't seem to, to get general opinion at all. And there's nothing seemingly changing that, even with the whole blatter stepping down. And, and it in that sense, it can be quite a lethargic discussion because you feel as if you are just treading over old ground. Yeah, or booing over old ground. Um, disappointing, uh, UEFA. We thought you were better than... No, wait a minute, sorry. Uh, we didn't think anything better of you. You, whatever the hell you are. Anyway, uh, De Bruyne was delighted with the severe victory, wasn't he, guys? Um, and so he should be, because what a performance. I was talking to a Chelsea fan tonight, and he said, I don't know why we let him go. Because he wasn't mentally ready. And, that, and that's your answer. I, th- I think, you know, I mean, that in itself is a point of, about hindsight, and oh, why did we let him go? You let him go because he still had to grow, and... and I think in the case of De Bruyne, maybe that's been a little bit lost. Is, Chris, is he the, had is a journey point, to go on. But is the point not that it, they bought him to go on a journey with him and then sold him as soon as they realised they had to still go on some of the journey? Possibly. I think what you have to remember is, is they couldn't fit him in or they didn't want to make the allowances for him to but, be in the team. And but, but, arguably, Chris, I'll put it this way. If, if De Bruyne and Chelsea or De Bruyne and you know Roman Abramovich are walking down the beach and you look at their footprints in the sand... Mm-hmm. But at one point, you only see one set of footprints. And De Bruyne turns to Josie and he says... It's Abramovich, of course. Is that he, what it is? Well, in a way. Um, but he turns to him and he says, what happened then? And Jose says, I sent you to Wolfsburg. Well, and, and then he's on another beach. Do you know what I mean? The thing with Wolfsburg was it let him be the star man. And that yep. was tended to be the issue with, with Mourinho. It was you know, the old story about how he came in every day crying that he w- wasn't playing. Letting him go to Wolfsburg... While at the time it seemed a good decision, now it maybe doesn't. It was almost a, a lose lose situation because he had to go away and, and become the player that he is now. And City are not buying the Kevin De Bruyne that left Chelsea. They're buying the Kevin De Bruyne that was at Wolfsburg. And that is a totally different player. And while it may not look it because not much has changed physically, I think you see the way he carries himself and the way he plays. A lot has changed for him because yeah. he has grown and developed. And you could have loaned him out, of course. That's maybe another argument for hindsight. I don't think he gets the mental benefit 
if he goes on loan. I think, again, he just feels like someone that's travelling between two different stations while he's trying to find a, a true home, and that's what Wolfsburg was for him. The, the, the constant tourist, of course, the modern mm. problem. Um, the vagrant from time to time. Uh, or possibly what Mourinho creates. And Mourinho, I mean, Mourinho's made himself that somewhat, and he creates that out of other people. Um, anyway, Manchester United drew one all with CSK in Moscow, Dave. And that, I mean, what does that mean for this weekend? Obviously, you know, going away to Russia is hard. Well, yeah, 1,601 miles from Manchester to Moscow, so it's a long way. They're not walking it, Dave. But, you know, they've got to get a plane, mate. It's eight hours on the plane. You know, that that does sort of fatigue players. You know, if they left straight after the game, let's say, they're Mm going to get home Mm -hmm. probably, you know, they will get home on Thursday morning, then they've got Mm -hmm. to rest the day, and then they've got to go back to training, and then they've got a massive game on Sunday. So it's it's an interesting one. And they're in economy. Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> oh no, obviously these players are professional and they should be absolutely fine at recovery, so it should be okay. But the game itself was was awful in the first half. Man United was so, so poor with the ball. It was just it was exactly like Bayern Munich all over again. They were just awful with the ball. They had so much possession, but they just weren't getting it forward into attacking areas. Then to be fair, the introduction of Marouan Fellaini made United a lot more direct. Um, you know, played the ball a lot more forward more times and the goal came, the overload came and Martial sort of Correct his, corrected his mistake from the first half, but it's just Man United this year, isn't it? This this whole possession game is really incredible. Two of the United central midfielders, Ander Herrera and uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, completed 226 passes. The whole CSK Moscow team completed 234 combined. So that's just a you know a, a sign of the dominance. But you know you can have as much possession in the world, but the main stat that counts is the goals, isn't that right, Lawrence? Uh, I don't know about that, Dave. I don't know about that. Um, I. I think it's all about the Gagan pressing. Um, okay. What about what about this weekend, though, Chris? Because obviously these are the t- well, uh, table wise, the the two teams who are most dominant and obviously the most on for the title. Mm. Can we spare a thought for Igor Akinfeev, who hasn't kept a clean sheet since two thousand six in the Champions League since as well? Ever, yeah, <laughs> I feel really. It's coming up ten years. The poor guy; he's never had a good night in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the difficulty with the Manchester derby at the minute is that it feels like, I would argue Man United have the more prevalent tactic and ideology in terms of what we read about and see, but I feel like Cities is better organised and is producing better results personally. And so you're going to see those two ideologies now crash together at the weekend and if I'm really honest, I can only see City winning it. I can't see Man United winning it just because, yes, they have this possession and, and you know, I my they have statistics about it. I don't see it achieving much. And and that is something that if you look mm. at, at Bayern now, maybe, there are certainly people who believe that, on reflection, Van Hall was a bit like that at Bayern as well. It was, it yep. was a lot of passing, but not much gain from it. And there is a difference between penetrative passing and possession and just holding on to the ball needlessly. I think what it does with if you keep the ball so much, like Bayern do and Man United are doing at the moment, it re- it relies so much on individualism. It, it relies so much on having a winger that can like rip up a flank, you know, and then create an assist or score a goal or a striker that you play the ball to, like Lionel Messi, and he just does something out of thin air, scores a goal. I think it's it's a big problem with possession if you don't have the um, you know attackers that have confidence. Let's say in these positions, you're going to struggle and it will get a lot of criticism in a way. You know, I'd love to see Man United play under Jurgen Klopp, but that's obviously never going to happen now. 
um, as he's gone to Liverpool. But that would have been really interesting with the current um, crop of players seeing that style of play. But obviously, we've gone to this mm. possession, so Pep's probably going to come in next. But we'll see where it goes. That's a, that's a good point, actually. When you look at, I mean, I know they lost to Arsenal. Costa was really impressive again. And yeah. the, the the mugging that it was deemed against Bellerin. Mm-hmm. I don't see Man United with that same kind of player. I see Memphis, but I don't see this the blistering pace yet from him. And and equally, I mean, I, I could be completely wrong, and I'm, I hope Dave will correct me on this if, if I am. I haven't really seen Memphis go at people as much as I remember seeing him do it for PSV. He was always someone that seemed to like to dribble and like to, to face guys up. But now he yeah. seems more intent on, if it's not perfect, I'll square it back inside and, and I'll kind of reset myself to try and go at it again. Perfect for our, our last Mikey talking point. Memphis. So do not leave. We have got so much to talk about at the end of the show. That is part of what we're going to talk about. But I completely agree with Kristen that Memphis is not playing like he played when he played for PSG. PSV, just, sorry. Do you ever just sit, stick around on a show because those shouts down the microphone, do not leave. Do not leave us. We've um, got much to talk about, guys. I want to see Kristen at some point shouting, you're getting a car. You're getting a car. Um, anyway. Not on my salary. <laughs> um, getting a dinky toy or a matchbox at yeah. best. Well, you could, we didn't say what kind of car. Let, let's go to Mulder, Chris, uh, where uh, there, there's been some news. Yeah, it's um, it's Vegard Foran with one, and then Kamara with two, and, and so Solskjaer is back at the club. He's come back for a second spell, and I mean, wow, instant impact or what? I'm pleased he's gone back because I was a little bit worried as time was passing that he was staying away from management, and and I think he has potential. I think he made some big mistakes at Cardiff. I think his work with an agent that he knows very well in terms of bringing a lot of the Mulder players over. Kind of brought the wrong ones, really. The likes of Inky Berger and people like that, who, funnily enough, spent time at Celtic before he went to to Malmo. I just hope he gets a chance to to really work on himself again. And I think if you asked him, he would be honest enough to say that there is work still there to be done. And and I like a lot of his processes, having studied him quite closely. So I'll be definitely keeping quite a focused eye on Mulder just to see what they do because there's a lot of potential there. What kind of processes are you talking about? He's he's just Morning someone routine. that yeah, he's just someone that focuses on the game and and we talked about it earlier on the idea of just winning as opposed to how you win that's something that's important for him and he's talked about that a lot with Stralix Ferguson. I mean personally if, if I could I would love to go and interview him about that because I think there's a million and one stories that you could be be hearing there. Mm. I think what's good for him is that if you look at this Molder team, there are some good young players in there. There's Harmit Singh, who had a tough time at Feyenoord. Uh, Estaz Hussein, who I believe was at Man United, actually, as a youngster. Yeah. And then the, the kind of standout is Mohamed El Yunusi, who he was at Sarpsborg when Brian Dean was there. And I spoke to, to Brian around that time about Mohamed, and he just raved about him, just thought he was brilliant and had so much potential. And if anyone is going to help him kind of realise that, I think it'll be Solskjaer, because he did do that for for Wolf Ikram, who, funnily enough, is also at Mulder now, and it helped elevate him to, to a better league in, in Heronvein. Mm. I'd be really curious to see what he could do with someone like Elianusi, who I think really does have a lot of talent. Interesting stuff here, guys. Uh, anyway, should we move on now? Can we move on now? Can we move on with a, a subject that's in Spain? We'll go back to Spain. Spanish uh, football is in shock after a referee has made, uh, a linesman, in fact, has made an announcement that apparently he was told to favour Real Madrid in the next Clasico, Dave. 
Well, we, we thought about it. You know, we all thought there was something dodgy going on at rail. Now we've got some proof. Well, not really proof, but it is terrible. Who was terrible. it told by, sir? I uh, should have read that. Um, a fan in a bar or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Favour them. <laughs> Um, according to his lawyer, um, says uh, the linesman wanted to go public with the allegations, um, but was persuaded to make them formal in a legal statement. And he's um, got a lawyer. He's not a total duck egg, is he? Yeah. First by another official and then over the phone by a member of the Spanish Football Federation. Rotten. Uh-oh. Absolutely That's rotten. Awkward. It's like it's a... Uh, it's like uh, it's it really? leagues are run by uh, by people who are crazy. Proof that the league is not the best league in Europe. You can't even speak to a referee without them telling everybody else. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, that is an interesting side, though, isn't it, Chris? Essentially, that, that Britain and England does trade off being a fairly clean league, in inverted commas. And I guess the worry there is that it's less that it actually is a clean league, but more that just the perception is that it is a clean league. Mm. There, there, there was a story I seem to remember a few years ago saying that referees were told not to send players off because it ruined the, the spectacle of things. So I guess you could argue there's varying degrees. <laughs> He's broken of, his bloody leg. Uh, uh, no, no, no. This will ruin the spectacle. He punched me in the face. <laughs> Don't ruin the spectacle, Martin. You had something on your face. Yeah. It was an eyelash. Yeah. I think um, it's not a good thing for La Liga to have this kind think- of thing because... Even if it's proved to be dishonest or whatever, it, it will never truly eradicate the mark that has been left on the league. Serie A is another one that is plagued by this even now. And it is it is very unfortunate. I believe there was another really minor league that was uh, charged with corruption or, or there was a big story about corruption. That yeah, the, Serie A. the country is escaping me, but it was quite a minor league. It was something like 60 games or something like that were influenced. Okay. I mean, that's very minor. Uh, it's but, it's oh, a real concern though because... Huge. this is the problem when so much money is involved and again we're going to sound like we're banging the drum similar to your way for the money is terrible for football etc etc money in the wrong hands is terrible for football bad money is what you're saying here Chris if the money is funneled in to for example the grassroots the lower ebbs of the game it's brilliant it'll do a lot of great things you see it with with Iceland who you know everyone is talking about now that money was put into development youth football coaches and it's it's bred something beautiful. When it gets to the top and it gets to people that are then given power off the back of that money, that's when I start to feel a little bit uneasy. When when we have people, a few select people, I guess you could argue reflecting society, the one percent dictating things, that's when I, I start to feel a little bit uneasy about the, the climate of football. Yeah, uh, essentially, you would also say uh, that the focus, if the focus is therefore on money or people saying that the focus is on betting or people corrupting the game, it's not necessarily even that people are losing money, because actually that is a big worry that, you know, normal people are betting on these games uh, and therefore losing money, but also that it is it's ruining the spectacle itself. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the big news this week, guys, is that Bastian Schweinsteiger's lawyers are looking to stop <laughs> a Nazi doll being made. Now, I all, these are my favourite stories in in the world, essentially, <laughs> because it's when someone it's when someone without any sort of um, cue says that looks a bit like me. It's probably time to publicly announce that that Nazi doll but, being sold in another they, country looks similar to me. 
doesn't even they, look like him. It they, really they is him. him. It re- <laughs> they called him Bastion as well, didn't they? That was the worst yeah. part about it. They named it Bastion. Okay, like, that, come on, guys. I mean, yeah, it, that's the. I think that's the annoying thing, really. But then, I mean, does anyone else have some favourite doppelganger suing stories? Because I have one. <laughs> Do you know? Oh, most people are going to have seen Lord of the Rings. Right. This is a niche even I can't contribute to. I mean, it is a real niche, but if you know any other, do- if you know any other doppelgangers in football, please do let us know. This one isn't even necessarily football. This is, although it is, ne- it's football related. It's 2018 related. It's Vladimir Putin related. Um, <laughs> say you're watching the Lord of the Rings film and you think a character looks a bit like you. Do you keep your mouth shut or do you go to them and offer to sue them? You probably keep your mouth shut unless you're Vladimir Putin. At which point you went, Gollum was based on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, someone's got self-esteem issues. I was going to say he threatened to sue them because he was—he basically made the accusation that Gollum was based on Vladimir Putin. I'm not kidding. You can look this up. Um, and it, Ukraine was the ring. Is that the, the analogy he's drawn? I guess what, so. Yeah. A, a fantasy novel that was writ, writ, written in 1937 is about Vladimir Putin. Yes, Dave. But the, the point would be the point would be that uh, this man uh, was talking about the film. So. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, is at that point you worry. Um, Let's be honest. If you're his assistant, you're not going to fight every battle. Are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, okay, I'll send a letter. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if it's going to make you look stupid, all right. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, it does. It, just, it looks just like your boss, honestly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a double take. I was no, watching a home video. What, what do you mean, more vodka? Okay. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Uh, one thing we do have to say this week is we wish uh, it's we we wish Mr. Croy for the best after he was diagnosed with uh, with lung cancer this week. Um, so a slightly different uh, transitional tone there. Um, but obviously, whenever someone gets ill in football, we want to see the best for them. Um, all the best, Tim. Anyway, let's move on, guys. Uh, should we do the questions, Dave? Yeah, let's uh, let's go for it. Okay. Uh, we've already done one question. There are a couple more about Arsenal and the Champions League. I hope you've covered your question. If we didn't mention your name, sorry about that. Uh, Olsi, uh, this should have been my other uh, favourite one, says, Hi, Albanian fan. Hi, the front three. Albanian fan here. Love the minutes you mentioned us. Listen, listened uh, every podcast till today. Keep it up. Thumbs up, Lawrence McKenna. Adam Boltwood. He cut Dave's name off there because he deliberately thinks Dave's the worst member of the group. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm with him on that. Uh, James, I don't want to say Kise, says, uh, a bit early for questions, but with the injury Messi sustained, do you think Ronaldo now is in with a good chance of winning or whining, as he put here, the Ballon d'Or? Chris? I think he's got a good chance of whining his way to the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. <laughs> I like the say, idea of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Go it's, on. A, it's, a, it's a good period he's out. So you would argue, if they really do consider statistics, then yes. What may count against him is the fact that Messi already has won the Champions League. He's done fairly good things with Argentina and the Copa America. Yeah. So he's already achieved a lot this year. What have you done? So the eight weeks, nothing to do. Yeah. It was a struggle to get out of bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the the, the weeks and months... <laughs> <laughs> Haven't even fed the dog. Yeah, um, is that a euphemism? It is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so the the weeks that he's going to be missing, they're not going to be huge weeks in the context of the so season yeah. for him or the calendar year and what he could achieve. Yeah, good point, um, guys. I have a really good one here. Um, it's uh, I can't remember who it's from. It's from Jeremy AFC and he Kazola assist one of our favourites. He says, "Okay, so my friend asked me this question today. Fantastic." 
So if an alien race came down to earth and challenged us to a game of football, what would your 11 and subs be and what manager would you pick? Another stipulation was that they, brackets, the aliens, had a time machine and you could bring anyone back to play slash manage in this game. Um, Kristen and and Dave, I'm giving you 30 minutes to put together your team. <laughs> st- 30 seconds, starting now. I'm right. going to need a light up first. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, so I can get in the mind frame of the question. Ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's put it this way, guys. We're all high on weed. What <laughs> team do we pick? Oh, my shit. Come on, guys. Hold Sylvester on. Stallone in goal from Road to Victory. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, and then you want... Uh... <laughs> Will Smith from Independence Day up front. Yeah, good point. Um, can we... Okay, who are we putting here, guys? Um, oh, I've only done me from three. Who are you doing, Dave? Oh, nice. Good pun. Um, so I've got Lionel Messi, yeah, Puskas, and Ronaldo. That's going to be the front three. And Ronaldo, you're putting Ronaldo. Okay, and then what about Dave? What about Pele? Pele is going to play in behind. (laughs) And what about Maradona? We not playing Maradona. Uh, Right. Okay. Okay. Because because we can go back in time, we're going to play the old um, WM formation. Yes, classic. Right. So we're going to have a front five of. Messi, Puskas, Pele, Maradona, and Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Right, yeah. And then who are we playing at the back, guys? Kristen, this is where I'm coming to you because I'm thinking, you know, oh, well, I mean, Xabi Alonso's got to be in the midfield somewhere, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> undeniably. Uh, just behind him is Steven Taylor. Um, <laughs> okay, how high are you? Just, I don't okay. even know what it is. Yeah. Um, are you still in bed? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, Xabi Alonso, and then who are you saying just behind that? I mean, defensively, let's think, go Bobby Moore, because he was always good at one-on-ones. Okay, yeah, right, making this team, apparently. Uh, <laughs> no, he was, he was good. Bobby Moore was brilliant. Anyone Bobby that Moore. could stop Pele. Who alongside Bobby Moore? Who alongside what Bobby Moore? What if we would say, like, a Mal... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Dini or uh, he plays on the same side. So what if Berezi. Berezi, all right, Berezi. Yeah, and then who are we saying, guys, for our attacking fullbacks? Or in this five formation, are we just not having attacking fullbacks, uh, having yeah, real so fullbacks? Yeah, so we're having, we're, having, we're having two defenders, yeah. Chabi Alonso, and then we need I've already yeah, got, yeah, two, two more. And then we need two more, and then a goalkeeper, I feel like obviously. Cafu and Lam would be quite reliable. Cafu would be a fantastic one, all right, Cafu on one side. I feel side. that we need, we need a sweeper in this team, just because it's such... I think we need Beckenbauer in there. As the sweeper. We'll play three right. sweepers. We'll play Brazy, Bobby Moore, and Beckenbauer. Okay. And then does that does that mean that well what's Cafu's position then? 
I don't know, mate. Okay. This is this has gone tits up. Uh, which means we need one more player. Who I was. Uh, I mean, we have very little width in this side, <laughs> and I don't think that uh, Ronaldo or I want to say Pele, Maradona, or Pushkash are tracking back. So. Um, <laughs> I think we need Rakitic in there to shore everything up. To, <laughs> kidding, to, to glue it together. To do the All running right. for Lionel Messi, right. uh, Pele, Puskets, Messi and Maradona. We need a runner. Have we clarified which aliens these are? Yeah. That, um, the are they the ones from that Mel Gibson film, the others? No. Oh, um, that's a shame. Yeah, Could I know. Done them in with water bottles. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, <laughs> no, they're the ones from uh, uh, Space Jam. Right, okay. Yeah. And so they, they've taken their skills from other people? Yes, Yes. Have we checked they haven't taken any of our players' skills yes, to we, really do us all Yeah, we made sure of that. And, um, right, so we submitted our team first. Yes, okay. and then they went around and single-handedly made all the players touch the football and they all took their powers through that. See, that's why I picked Stephen Taylor, because I thought, ah, you, <laughs> you think, think you're going to ah, win. Ah, you see, he's overlooked him. Yeah, clever. You'll not yeah. be laughing when your Achilles snaps in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we've taken Cafu out the side. Uh, we put back him out. That means, still means we need... Uh, one more player in this side and the goalkeeper who are you putting as a goalkeeper here guys Levy Ashen oh, because he was the man. only player ever to have win the Ballon d'Or as a goalkeeper yeah yeah that's oh. what I was thinking yeah alright what about Don't... Manuel Neuer though <laughs> shut up <laughs> uh, no uh, guys no. we still need one more outfield player and where are they playing and they're playing as part of a midfield Essentially, we're playing a back four. Xabi Alonso. I don't understand why we need a sweeper if we have Xabi Alonso, but that's fair enough there. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think we've got so, we've got so many sweepers that it could be fluid. Right, so I'm going to draw... We've got... Um, is it Lash, Lashin in goal? Sorry, I forgot yeah. how to pronounce his name. So Lashin in goal. Then we've got more Brazy Beckenbauer yeah. and Alonso yeah. sitting in front of them. We need right? one, I think we play a front six, essentially. So who are we saying here? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we've, um, we, we can have one more attacking-esque player in there. I want to say, or someone to sit alongside Jabby. Yeah, so maybe a runner. Someone who was that? Who was who just ran and ran and ran? Well, I mean, Mascherano would be a great player to have. In I was going to say Gascoigne because people say he just never, never tired. He was up playing tennis at like three o'clock in the morning. Okay, Gascoigne it is because essentially he could be an alien. Um, fantastic! Imagine the conversations they'd have. Gascoigne and alien. Yeah, probably way more sense than anyone has ever thought they've got out of uh, Paul. Frames of reference in that discussion. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Now, that's fantastic. So, uh, Levy Ashian, uh, Beckenbauer, Boresi, Bobby Moore, Gascoigne, Xabi Alonso, Maradona, Pele, Ronaldo, Pushkash, and of course, Messi at the very front. Um, That's a very tactically intelligent, interchangeable side. Sponsored by Garth Crooks. Yeah. Uh, fantastic stuff guys if you have anyone that we should have put in our world 11 uh, to face our overlords please do let us know Um, hashtag I am the alien Um, (laughs) of of course um, with that being the title of the team uh, I think Sting should manage uh, the the team Uh, who who are we saying to manage guys it's a difficult one Alex Ferguson's got to be in there maybe Jock Steen can I put can I put someone out there that I think confuse all these players together perfectly? Go for it, Bobby Robson. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say Keegan because he's got that galactic Keegan. Yeah, of course. Um, no, I'm galactic Robson. I'm going to say Bobby Robson yeah. because as his interpreter for the aliens, who do we have, guys? It's got to be Mourinho, hasn't it? It's got to be Mourinho. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then who is M- Mourinho's interpreter? It's Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> 
So we have a, a bench. Wow. Of, yeah. You took us around the houses there. Yeah. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Well, I mean, who's taking the youth side, Chris? Um, fantastic stuff. Great. Thanks very much for your question. Next up in the questions, a really good one. Uh, a while back on TF3, I believe that means the front three, Dave said he liked the new Jamie XX album. Got to agree, Dave. It's a good album. I listened to it and enjoyed it. Mixing tenses, but that's fair enough. Um, what are some more of your favourite artists? Um, Dave, as he asked, he asked specifically, I think, for your input on this. I have some input myself, uh, but w- what are you going to say? At the moment, I'm listening to quite a lot of Major Lazer and Diplo. Um, it's right. pretty, okay, I would you know, advise like... no one else to download that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> done stuff but hold on there's a really really good remix of a Jamie XX song um, from yeah. Elf Kid yeah. just trying to find the name of it yeah. two seconds I'll come back to me I'll, I'll these people. I re- <laughs> it's Elf Kid Chris didn't I feel like I'm know? in a World of Warcraft chat room <laughs> there you go there you go right so th- this lad's called Elf Kid um, and it's a cover of Oh, oh Gosh from Jamie XX it's absolutely brilliant yeah uh, obviously everyone at the moment is listening to Hotline Bling by Drake What's Laser Quiz's best song? Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like. Uh, who else do I? Re- I try to think. Who I really like at the moment. Um, oof, good question. Uh, everyone still loves the weekend. Uh, I love a little known artist called Benjamin Ad. Well worth a look uh, if you like Kid Cudi sort of stuff. Um, I also like the game. The game's new album. Um, Kristen. Uh, well, I mean, Jimmy Nails just come out with something that's been all right. Fantastic, um, yeah. Probably it, to, the minute I'd say a little bit older stuff, so I don't know how many of the listeners may even know of them. People like Crosby, Stills and Nash, Tim Buckley. Um, all the people that sample are now sampled in songs. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. Neil, Neil Young's in there. Uh, a little bit of Drake now and again, stuff like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's fairly eclectic. Neil Young yeah. and Drake. Now, yeah. that is a partnership I want to hear. Uh, <laughs> He's a, ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the stage Neil Young and Drake I'd love to see it they'd write a good breakup song those two yeah between them yeah. Um, Tori Kelly as well I've got a real soft spot for her I can't, yeah. can't deny it every now and She's... again Kristen will just message me with a girl that he so clearly has a huge crush on yeah it's not even funny I remember when Oxygen came out not long uh, a couple of years ago that was a big big one um, and of course I like old school Kanye West who doesn't Anyway, uh, old school now, of course, being 2013. Uh, guys, another question from Marco. Feb- I want to say Fabian. He says, I'm new to the BPL. Um, can we just say one thing, guys? Does anyone else enjoy it when people refer to La Liga as La Liga BBVA? Because it's the same as insisting on saying the Barclays Premier League. They're on brand. I can't follow them for that. Yeah, good point. Who, but- the, the next people that sponsor La Liga is quite amusing, but I can't remember who it is. Uh, look it up. Um, I will do. I'll come uh, back to me. Guys, I'm new to the... He put BLP, um, but it, I think he means BPL, and listen to The Ramble. Um, fair enough. I'm pretty sure this is actually just Luke Moore trolling us. Um, <laughs> why do they love to laugh at people like Big Sam, Pardew, Redknapp, etc.? Why are they so funny? I think those are two separate questions there. The Ramble are funny because they're good guys, uh, Marco. Why do they like to laugh at Big Sam, Pardew and Redknapp? I'm not sure is a question. Right, Chris? Well, Alan, what I would say yeah. is they laugh at them because they are comedy characters, to be truthful. The things they come out with the press, that they almost operate with 
a mentality that yesterday didn't exist and everyone's forgotten about it. So they often contradict themselves. I think to a degree they have delusions of grandeur. <laughs> but that's just a ramble. So what about the guys <laughs> who are talking about the big Sampardia and Redknapp, Chris? As for the three aforementioned managers, <laughs> what, what I would say is it's just that. Things, things like when Sam Allardyce but, you know, comes out with things like he should be managing at Real Madrid and he's made for a top job. When Pardew's kind of selling himself for the, the England job before he's even completed a full season with Palace, the fact that Redknapp has publicly courted players, it, it's just something to to laugh at purely because you can't believe that they're operating with so much, I think ignorance is the right word, so much ignorance to the media and what has gone before them. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a lack of awareness really, isn't it, more that they're mocking. It's yeah. more of a mocking than a laughing at. They just believe at. their own hype and you just think, yeah, it's it's a very bizarre situation. Yeah. Um, thoughts? I don't know, not going to go on any uh, Ballon d'Or questions, but that will do that close to the time. Uh, what's your favourite name in football? Uh, and someone's gone down this route. Chris, we used to do a podcast and I think we did a whole evening of just listing players that sounded like food. I wish I still had those notes um what's your favorite name in football he says mine is tasty young capri striker kevin lasagna uh my one scored in the champions league this week playing for ghent the 21 year old midfielder thomas fockett <laughs> yes good <laughs> how did he hit it chris did he absolutely I just like the idea of his manager screaming that down the touchline <laughs> and oh, the down with 20 minutes to go <laughs> yeah Fuck it. he's having some kind of existential crisis <laughs> <laughs> um uh dale payne asked a pretty good question uh, sorry dave do you have a favorite name i, I, I quite like valdefiori in for napoli but it's not really fully like christian so i wasn't going to mention it but i do yeah. like that name yeah there was a dutch winger as well called brian penis <laughs> I think we'd all remembered Brian. Um uh yes. He was all yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's coming at me. Um do you think Arsenal can win the Champions League in the next three seasons? Thanks guys. Uh that's from Jack Clune. Martin's son. Like yes. he's changed his last name, but no, Mister Wilshere, you will not win Champions League in the next three years. I, I don't think they've got the, the mental toughness for it. This one's a good one. Um, what's your favourite individual skill move in history? The Cruyff turn, or my favourite, the Berbatov spin? Um, can we also coin the 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 Costa flick this week, guys? You remember that in the Champions uh, League yeah. game? That was a good little vinable bit. What about the Rabona? Yeah. That is surely uh, a good one. The Ronaldinho yeah. flip flap. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Ronaldinho flip-flap was good. The Elastico was also... That's the same thing, isn't it? The flip-flap and the I think elastico. so. Yeah, yeah. Um, the rainbow flick, that was quite good. The rainbow flick was a good one. Still possible on FIFA, of course. I'll tell you what my favourite is. You remember that um, Mancini goal for Roma against Lyon, where he did about 7,000 step-overs in two seconds? It was brilliant. That was a love good a good step-over. I do love the one also where, is, I think it's Ronaldinho, uh, maybe it's Ronaldo, the original R9, actually steps on it, and then but then kicks it. So he kind of puts his foot on it, but then his other foot follows through and kicks it away. Oh, yeah. And that, But that also goes into the... The, one of the best of all time and probably one of the, the one that's always been played most is the Thierry Henry kick, no kick, right? Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, that's a great move. I quite like dummies as well. I've got quite a soft spot for when I play dummies and it, it comes off. I just think there's there's something brilliant about that. Just not touching the ball, but, mm. you know, yeah, no good point. Um, uh, lovely. Let, let us know what your favourite skill moves 
in inverted commas are in history. I believe in the 70s they were still known as skill moves. Um, it's just that it, they found it unusual when people were talking about five-star skill. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we're almost done on questions. Uh, who will be the surprise team in, the, in this year's Champions League, Dave? Um, Austria. Champions League. <laughs> oh, fuck. Read the wrong question. Yeah, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> Dave, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Dave, and here we are, 2015 winners, <laughs> Austria. <laughs> um, wait, wait, what? Would you have predicted that, Ian, when the last 16 were drawn and Austria somehow managed to get into it? I absolutely would. Fantastic. Well, more for me in next week. Um, no, seriously, though. Uh, Dave, you can't just pick up your own questions. You realise that, right? <laughs> Come on. The Rabona. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's my surprise team this year. Imagine if you could only play football with one skill move. Which one would it be? That's an interesting question. But anyway, Dave, come on. Who's your surprise in the Champions League? This is really tough. Um going to go with... Ronnie Corbett. Please don't pick a country again. Please don't pick a country again. <laughs> I want to say Australia. Right, I've had a thing. Greece. <laughs> oh, no. Benfica <laughs> brilliant Dave thanks for coming Spain are my favourites <laughs> right. to win the Euros says Will Meller uh, also one of my favourite actors in Three Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps um, who, who are your favourites Chris Porto <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad I took a breath in there yeah. uh, to win the Euros Maybe Italy, actually. I think Italy could do it. Drake? Is it Drake to win the Euros? Yeah, it's Drake, <laughs> isn't it? It's Jamie XX's new album. We'll win the Euros. Yes. Um, fantastic. White Elf, he's going to do it all. Laser <laughs> quiz or somebody. <laughs> I love how you become an old man when we talk about music. Um, what are you guys... What What have you guys made of uh, Northern Ireland's uh, Euro 2016 qualifying campaign? Hashtag I am the whole, Chris. I think it's been good. I think what they've managed to do is, is get the most out of what is a fairly small pool of players. There's not a massive amount of talent in that country, to to be brutally honest. And the fact that strikers like Menegis or Menegis, or, I, I can't pronounce his last name. I apologise to him. But I mean, you look at him. <laughs> He's been deadly. Um, <laughs> Very good. He started out as a goalkeeper and then only changed to a striker kind of midway through his career. And the fact that he's been able to even contribute with goals is quite a, a baffling situation in, in the first place. It's it's just good to see them them qualify because you hope that then it maybe brings more maybe money to the infrastructure of, of football in Northern Ireland and, and such like. Because we've had good players from Northern Ireland, I think, through the generations from Best to Gillespie and Lennon more recently. It's just about getting them all on the pitch at the same time. And, and I hope they are able to do something. And I believe they will not embarrass themselves when it comes to the championships next summer. Dave, this is an interesting one. You must watch quite a lot of football. I know you do. Um, Tension says, in light of Liverpool's last game, what is the best nil-nil game you've ever seen? There are a number of journalists who keep stipulating that they think that nil-nil is a really good, um, a, really, a really interesting result to watch. Uh, it's just not very marketable. I suppose that's the point, isn't it? If we market it, then we can make anything uh, really interesting to watch. But what's the what's the best nil nil you've ever seen? It's a real. I think there's definitely been some United games that have been nil nil, but have been in very good games. I can't really think of any that are coming to mind. Was one of the Champions League games towards the latter stages last season one of the Juventus games that was a nil nil? Maybe that was really really good. I can't. One's not jumping out to me. 
Chris, any nil nils for you? I know you're a Newcastle fan, so you probably won't have seen many nil nils. But yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a rarity. Yeah, not there's, there isn't really. There's nothing I can can think of that, that jumps out. It is, it is. I guess it's quite a rare scoreline these days when you when you think about it. It, it doesn't happen maybe as often as it used to. Was it the nil nil between Juve and Milan in the Champions League final of o- 2001? Was that a nil nil? Oh, I think it was. Wow. You know. Yeah. Oh, don't you know? I want to say it is. I want to say it is. Um, finally, any idea how dreadful my work day has been waiting for the pod to shine light on my day, said Preston. No. Nope. Uh, tell us, by all means. <laughs> that's my outside winner for the uh, for the Euros this year, guys. Preston. Um, Sorry, mate, you've, you've not got through to the Samaritans. You've got to the front three. <laughs> Um, then the rest of the questions are all loosely based on the things we've already spoken about so thank you very much for submitting your question this week if we didn't get around to it um, message us in a it really was nil nil by the way that, what, that finally was spot on what 2003 a what a memory there you go 2003 um, weather was clear 18 degrees centigrade yes uh, <laughs> and that's what I think we don't note enough about matches the weather during and after the match 64 Fahrenheit for you People. people yeah <laughs> for you aliens fahrenheit yeah <laughs> for you big fahrenheit fans um it's a big debate in the meteorological community it really is um anyway uh we're gonna move on now moving on dave you've had a big big beef on twitter this week and i'm not using innuendo yeah you know i i did a tweet i got some responses a lot of them were very angry. Um, I apologise if I made you angry, but I just want to try and explain myself of what I meant from my tweet. Don't apologise so for tweet, being yourself, Dave. My tweet goes, uh, LVG's record at Manchester United of destroying young players' confidence is worrying. So this doesn't say a Van Gaal's record at Man United of destroying young players. It specifically says destroying young players' confidence. And I think that's the key word that people might not have got. So what I mean by that is the the dropping of Memphis Depay um, against Everton following his substitution at half-time against Arsenal. Um, if you look at that game, Memphis was blamed for a lot of the, the, the systematic issues of the whole side. And I did not like seeing him going off at half-time. I didn't think that's good for his confidence. He's a player that, um, Kristen alluded to this before on the podcast, that um, he's a player that last season at PSV, he looked so full of light, so full of confidence. He was a running at players. He was playing brilliantly on the counter-attack. And it's looking like his confidence is getting sucked away. He's not taking players on as much as he did last year. He's not shooting as much as he did last year. And I feel that that's something that Van Hal has either driven into him and now it's sort of to, it's starting to affect his form. You know, Memphis was one of the best 1v1 finishers in Europe last season. This season, he's had a number of chances and messed them up. But other examples of players that have gone down this same route at Man United um, under Van Hal, you'd look at the likes of Jess Lingard, you know, people tweeted me back uh, last night saying, oh, Jess Lingard's starting for Manchester United. Jess Lingard's only made two starting appearances for Man United under LVG. So that is a terrible example. Another good example of a player that I feel has sort of destroyed his confidence, he's hammered his confidence, is Paddy McNair. There's a game last season at Southampton away. Man United were playing pretty poorly um, and Paddy McNair got hauled off after 30 minutes. That is terrible. You cannot do that to a young player. You're going to affect his confidence. You're going to affect his, his belief in himself. Do you not think that's a bit prescriptive, though, Dave? I mean, you've got to admit that I, I'm kind of on your side, if you like, for this one. I, I agree with what you're saying is that maybe his approach is wrong, but is it not a bit prescriptive to say you cannot do this? To, because 
I mean, Kristen, we all spoke about this as a group beforehand. And one thing that Kristen said was, well, would not, would Lou, well, Kristen, maybe you're better to make the point, but would Lou Van Gaal not make the point? Well, it worked with other players. So I wouldn't want Davis my boxing corner man. I'll say that much. <laughs> I know he's getting leathered, but he's young. If I drag him out now, it'll be terrible for his confidence. <laughs> I, I think what he does, and, and I touched on this, is that much like Klinsman, it just puts everything on the plate. It's entirely your you know, career to make and break. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to show me you can. And if you're not performing in the same way that a senior player is, I will treat you like a senior player. There are no allowances made for your age. And that can, as Dave rightly alludes, crumble a lot of players. And it can be detrimental to a lot of young prospects that you need to manage carefully. You could also, it also help, you could argue it also helps you find the truly strong characters and the truly elite players because they do just take to that water quite effortlessly and manage to forge themselves at a first-team career quite quickly. I feel that, like, you know, it alludes to Ferguson's book, Leading. It's about leading, and it refers to Ferguson would never hammer young players, um, you know, in front of people. He'd take, you know, he'd take them to the side and he'd speak to them after the game and he'd talk to them about it. It appears that Louis van Gaal really hangs players out to dry. It's like what Kristen's saying. It's, it's like you're either with me or you're against me in a way. And, you know, mm-hmm. a prime example of that this season was how we hung out Adnan Yanazai to dry after the Aston Villa game where Yanazai scored a brilliant individual goal, won United the game, yet Van Howe openly criticised him in front of him. Yanazai was sitting next to him in the press conference about his defensive work. That is not something that you should do for a young player. You should be, you know, the young player's just scored a brilliant goal. Well, you know, well done. This is what you can improve on. It seems like Van Howe is sort of that autocratic in a way, he's a bit of a bastard. And that's probably the best way to describe him, that it's, you know, it, it, there's things that you don't do right. It's not about picking up the good things you've done. It's all about breaking the player down. But I feel with the Anazai a prime example that's gone to Borussia Dortmund. He's not even playing that much at Borussia Dortmund. So it's got to be something there where he's left because he doesn't feel that Van Aal's the right player to grow his career. And he's gone on loan elsewhere. And he's probably going to be waiting until Van Aal leaves before returning to Man United, if ever. And Yanazai is one of the most talented players in world football, so it's a massive shame that that's happened. But it seems he like he doesn't Van have Howe... kid gloves. Essentially, that's that's the problem. He doesn't have that soft approach. I remember Chris Hutton with Andy Carroll used to always kind of temper any praise that a journalist would give in a question with. Andy's going to have up st- up days and down days, and we have to manage those. And that's a much softer approach. You could very easily forge an argument to say that in today's society, maybe we are a little too soft with young players and and arguably kids in general in terms of we do always want to make sure that, you know, they're happy and things like that. And, and maybe a little bit more of an uphill battle, something a little bit more pressure filled, let's say, will, as as the saying goes, create diamonds. And, and that would be my thought with, with his approach, at least, is maybe that's what he's trying to do is is give them these difficult situations so they can grow from them so that they can mature from them quicker than if he just focused on everything that Yanazai did right and then in private went, but you need to defend a bit more too. I think that it's, it's a, you know, it's a golden, a golden problem with Van Hal is how he's sort of dealt with other players. Like Ander Herrera, who's not even that young a player these days, what, he's 25. You know, when he came on against, um, it was in the, against the Belgium side in the Champions League qualifier, I can't remember where it was. He, he, hadn't, um, he hadn't played for a few games. You know, he hadn't played, he hadn't played that much at the start of the season, we came against, it, was it, is it Club Bruges that we played in the Champions League? Probably, I think yeah, it was. was. Um, yeah, so against Club Bruges, and he looked like a little child that needed to try and impress his dad. And he was getting everything wrong in the first half because he was trying too hard. It felt, it felt like Van Halen was like, staring in the back of his eyes, staring through him, and he couldn't perform to his you know, capabilities because he didn't feel that his manager had confidence in him. And I think that's 
terrible for a you know for a young player. That, for me, that's not the right way to manage them. Good point. Really good point. Uh, I mean, it, it, I think that's the point there, Dave. Is it, it's a lot. It's subjective, but your tweet was yeah. not necessarily based on something you thought was subjective. Um, interesting drop in uh chris uh, one thing i do want to talk to you about is mls because uh you know you're obviously an mls specialist a united states specialist um there's been a lot of talk recently about uh, two things coming out of the states obviously the coming towards the end of the season for mls but also uh, jürgen klinsman which one would you pick up on first i think they intertwine quite beautifully between the two of them in Go the ahead. sense that Klinsman, one thing you can criticise him for, and in fairness, I, I wrote a thousand words for four four two on this this week. Is that say those thousand words now? <laughs> Jurgen Klinsman sat down for his one. Yeah. Um, when essentially what he doesn't do is he doesn't work in a productive way with MLS at the moment. What he does is he talks about the fact he thinks it needs promotion relegation, which is a hot topic that. MLS doesn't want to discuss. Hot he topic. talks about the, oh, sorry. The, <laughs> he talks about the scheduling conflicts with U twenty and U twenty three internationals that he feels is detrimental to their efforts to try and build a squad that knows each other and has harmony. And then he also seems to ignore players that I think could contribute to the national team. Players like Benny Failharbour, Ethan Finley, Sebastian Leger, who have come to this league at differing times, but this season have performed consistently well for their teams and and been difference makers for their teams. And the kind of creative outlets that, unfortunately, I don't see in the current US men's national team. I see quite laborious, limited players, people like Jermaine Jones, who I think is really edging towards the end of his best days as someone who was a box-to-box midfielder that now can't compete with the likes of his Mexican equivalent, uh, Hector Herrera, the, the Porto midfielder. You kind of couple that in relation to MLS and, and contrast it with the fact that MLS isn't perfect. Yes, it's growing. It's getting more marketing. It's also not... They shouldn't be marketing themselves with that phrase, though, should they? MLS, <laughs> it's not perfect. <laughs> but what else are you going to watch on a Sunday night? <laughs> exactly. um, what I would say is that the pay gap for me is still something of an issue. The fact that I can talk to someone who's making $60,000 a year and then someone who's making $6 million a year is an issue because it's not guaranteeing these players much for their post careers. And I just think there's more that can be done. And, and when they cry essentially poor and, and say that they, they can't afford to, to make those payments and it's about maintaining the stability of the league. I just think that's a bit disingenuous to say when you're talking about bringing Ronaldo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic here, because they would bring immense benefit to the league undeniably. I think you need to take care of the guys who made the league as well, though. And I don't know if that's truly happening at the moment. I see too much of a, a financial disparity between the, the two different types of player. The season is about to end. Uh, there's a few teams still with playoff hopes. That's when it gets really exciting, I think, when, when the playoffs start. Because like any American sport, NBA, NFL, there there is a buzz about that. Even with the, the Major League Baseball this week, the, the Mets and, and the Cubs, I've got quite invested in that because it's not a sport I truly like but there's an excitement to it there's a an air of tension and that will allow itself to to seep into the MLS playoffs mm, yes um and of course guys um we we've heard about this Scottish fan who's interested in Scotland um like a lot of other people Adam Boltwood our on-scene reporter spoke to him earlier in the week So I am delighted right now to be joined by Adam. Uh, Adam from Scotland. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. That's no worries. Where, whereabouts are you from? I am from just outside Glasgow, so 
in Glasgow will just be fine. So you have been tweeting us, you know, the Q&A section, asking us a few questions about Scottish football. We are not the most knowledgeable, as I mentioned last week, so I thought it'd be a good idea to get you on. You can sort of give us a little bit of insight, I thought, uh, about the game up there. So who, which team do you support from, uh, from Scottish football? I am a Rangers supporter, uh, have been all my life, uh, thankfully. <laughs> so what how are Rangers doing at the moment then? So they're, they're, they are top of the Scottish Championship, aren't they? Yes, they are top of the Scottish Championship with uh, Mark Warburton in charge at the moment. Um, doing really well, playing some great football. The kind of thing that um, that Dave would like, uh, that kind of pass <laughs> and play, that quick movement, you know, just and something that he would love to watch, I think. What has Mark Warburton brought to the club? Because obviously Brentford let him go last season and they've come under a lot of criticism for that. So what do you think he has brought to the team? I think he's brought a, very, a, a positive mentality. Um not bringing back mentality, something that um, Lawrence likes to talk about. It's true. It's, true. <laughs> it's just, I think he's brought something that we haven't seen uh, for a good while. Players are willing to run with the ball. That's something we haven't seen since the likes of David uh, David Cooper played for us um, back in the nineties. Unfortunately, I wasn't old enough to watch him. Uh, but watching clips, it's just it's like watching something like that. A positive mentality of being able to run with the ball, being able to look up, pass it. You know. Uh, but it's, honestly, it's been great. It's been great. So it does look like Rangers are going to get back into the SPFL at the end of the season. 10 wins out of 10 so far in the Scottish Championship. How do you think they're going to fare in the top flight after a four-year absence? I think, to start off with, I think a, a positive aim would be to finish third. A team, obviously, we've got the likes of Celtic and Aberdeen. Aberdeen at the moment, who aren't doing that well we've got, they've gone on a stretch of a four game loss a four game uh, losing streak so that's happened but Celtic at the moment just they're going to win the league it's just what happens all the time so that's that's going to be our main difficulties coming up against them so they won't be able to challenge perhaps at first for the title that, but I wouldn't say so so what is from your point of view, obviously, being in Scotland, what is your sort of assessment of the current situation in Scottish football? Because from England, the interest has decreased dramatically ever since Rangers were demoted, you know, a number of divisions. Not having that rivalry there between Celtic and Rangers has means there's a lot less media coverage down here, a lot less interest in the game. Is that something you've you found in Scotland as well? That's something that's been hot. It's been pretty bad. Like, I mean, we've still got things like we've got radio stations where we have fans phoning in talking about each team, but it's it's not as big as what it used to be. It's it's died a wee bit. We've got lots of fans who don't really go to the games anymore because they've got a bit fed up. We've not seen that now that much at Rangers. It started to pick up with the 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 appointment of Mark Warburton and Davy Weir. Uh, but Celtic, I have noticed that the attendances have dropped by 20,000 if not maybe Jesus. even 15 it's they've got that 60,000 seat stadiums struggle to get about 50,000 roughly that's how much they get a game but you would start it's just one of those ones it's still a big crowd for um our country but it's just not the same in terms of generally in terms of Scottish football what I mean you, we were saying before we came on there you were talking about attendances maybe a lack of interest in terms of people turning towards the Premier League to watch on television yeah, I've noticed that quite a lot with um, uh, kids at my school. They'll talk about, they'll stand and talk about the Premier League. I don't hear that much talking, like that much chat about Scottish football anymore. Mm. Like what 
it used to be when I was uh, maybe 13 or 14. It's like since Rangers went down, it's gone. And now you've got all these big sponsorship deals in the Premier League and you've got teams buying players with ridiculous amounts of money. Take Stoke, for example, buying Shaqiri. No one thought that would happen, but then it did because of the, the TV money that was brought, the TV deal. And yeah. it's just, it's killed our game. Um, I've got a few stats and things like Aberdeen, their cheapest ticket right now is £21. Most expensive is £28. And it's just not something that a lot of people can afford to pay. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is these these teams like Aberdeen, your Ross County, and teams just even like Hamilton as well, they're uh, a local side to me. They're cheapest and most expensive. They got it the same, capped at £22 for an adult. That needs to be dropped. Their attendances have been really low this season. And if they don't drop them soon, they're just going to lose a lot of their fans. Well, what do you make of... So Celtic's majority shareholder, Dermot Desmond, came out and he said he believes the club, Celtic and Rangers, will be playing in the Premier League within the next 10 years. I mean, is that something you can see happening, first of all? And would you be in favour of that? Well, there's... There's flaws and well, there's pros and cons to it. Obviously, you've got the pros of that it would be amazing for Rangers and Celtic to join the likes of yeah. Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal. Um, with that, you've then got money feeding into Scotland mm. and a lot more fans coming up, meaning more revenues being created for mm. the economy and things like that from people buying and selling. It would make a lot more of a difference, but would I see it happening in 10 years? I don't think so. I see it happening maybe 20 years' time when I think maybe countries like the Italian League maybe start to pick up again. Yeah. Uh, only knows. But, um, Do you think that could be, it could almost be the death of Scottish football in a way, though? Because although, like you're saying, there are, there are those benefits which you pointed out that the Rangers and Celtic will enjoy, the other clubs you mentioned that aren't the top two, they're. they're <laughs> the impact it will have on them will be so negative. Yeah, and we've seen that as well in uh, places like Wales, where obviously you've got Swansea and Cardiff and Wrexham and things. They've gone from uh, Wales and come into the English League, making it more of an expansive league, obviously, but that has killed the Welsh Premier League. I mean, I know Wales, uh, sorry, Swansea and Cardiff, they moved early in the early 20th century, but even at that, it's... It just doesn't, it's not made, like, it's killed the Welsh game in a way. It's not yeah. helping them at all. It's like they're playing games and they're struggling to get that many fans. They're probably getting the same amount of fans as what, say, a Scottish League 2 game gets at, like, Clyde. They they get about two or 300 maybe a game. So then would you be in favour of that Rangers and Celtics sort of coming into the Premier League and, you know, those potential negative impacts on the rest of the teams, or would you rather see the Scottish League reformed and things changing in the Scottish League itself to make it more viable, to make it more popular among Scottish people? I think moving a lot more of the teams into the British League, maybe creating like a a, a sort of... uh, We've got a thing, we've got the new league system, the Highland and the uh, Lowland League. Uh, So you've got the Highland League, that's a number of teams, and then the Lowland League, a number of teams on the same level, but they don't play against each other until end of the season. Like the two teams that win the league, they play a two-leg tie uh, to see who would get promoted. We could maybe do something like that, have the teams in the Scottish League 
playing in a league and the maybe the top three teams move into the into the overall British league. Um so we could do I was thinking something like that. It would make it would make more of a vi- like more viable sense to it. Well we'll just have to wait and see. But in the meantime, thank you so much for coming on, Adam. Some really yeah. insightful, interesting stuff there. Much better than anything me or Loz or Dave could come up with. So <laughs> thanks for coming on. And uh thanks for listening to the front free. I mean where did where did you hear about the podcast? I found out about, about the comp, uh, podcast, the podcast. Uh, the podcast on uh, it was a football daily. I think it was oh, yeah. Adam's last show, so oh, yeah. that's when I think you first announced it. And I thought I'm gonna jump on that because that's something I just love listening to football and hearing a lot about it. And even the Football Republic watching that and the front three is very insightful. Yeah, for some reason I'm liking you more and more here. Uh, anyway, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the front three. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much to Adam and, of course, Scotland for that. Lovely. Uh, guys, did you enjoy that? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Kristen? Uh, lacked a little bit for me. But lovely to have him on. Uh, anyway, moving on, guys. It's been great to have you. Anything that we've missed from this week's podcast? Um, maybe the 11-1 drumming of uh, Galatasaray's under-19s team by Ben Fika. Apparently, that's a little bit dodge on the old betting markets. Really? Who out there was uh, was was going for eleven one and thinking they were, that they were predicted to win fourteen one? So I think it was something to do with the Asian handicap market, where the um, <laughs> it's a minus- very niche market, isn't it? I've been there; it's a lovely <laughs> tourist destination. <laughs> it was basically odds on to be a minus one game, where you know one of the teams would win by one goal or more, and obviously no, sort of like one goal, and obviously eleven one is. A little bit different. Yeah. But we all know what happens in Turkey and betting and football. <laughs> you typed in too many ones. <laughs> <laughs> we said one all. Oh, not oh, this we, again. We, we <laughs> took a player off. That's what we thought minus one meant. Yeah. Uh, terrible stuff. Are we therefore worried that Europe is becoming dirty, guys? Or has Europe worried. been dirty for a while? We just didn't know it. Yeah, it could be that. I would argue a little of column A and a little of column B. Yeah. And the dirtier it gets, the more you can see. Or is it just that, you know, sometimes you open the cupboard doors and, you know, been dirty in there for a while. You've just not managed to look. Was it Johnny Cash that sang What's Done in the Dark Will Be Brought to the Light? I think it's a biblical reference, but I'm sure he sang a song about it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Laser Quasar will use it in the next song. (laughs) (laughs) And it's on that note that we finish this week's podcast. Dave, if people want to go and see your work, where can they find it? Um, at Squawkadave on Twitter, yeah. S-Q-U-A-W-K-A-D-A-V-E. Of course, the easiest brand to spell. And uh, Kristen, what about you? It's lovely to have you on, by the way. Uh, Thank you for coming on. You've been on everything thanks. I've been on this yeah. week. So. Thanks, thanks yeah. buddy. Thanks for stepping it's- in when Adam uh, was predisposed. We We missed him, but it was also good to have you. I really enjoy this podcast specifically because you have uh, audience interaction, like the the questions that I kind of get attached to on Twitter and thing. I honestly think that's brilliant. And what I would say as well is I am consistently impressed. I obviously can't cover every question, but I'm consistently impressed by the knowledge of the, the listeners to this as well because you can tell they do some research and they clearly watch a lot of football as well. But, and but given- Chris, I think the question is, what's your favourite alien? <laughs> well, what I, what I was what I was going to say was they managed to do that a lot of them I imagine with full time jobs and everything. I, I benefit from the fact that football is my job, so there's crossover. How people manage to do that and also stay invested when football is the way it is sometimes consistently impresses me. In terms of my work, though, you can see that on 
uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. And yeah, but as I as I always say when I, I'm blessed enough to come on here, tweet me, whatever. I'm, I'm always willing to talk football. There's, there's never a bad time. Kunal Singer, of course, tweeted us this week and he says, as per recommendation, looking forward to the awesome read, hashtag I am the whole. And he, he sends a photo of his brand new book, Inverting the Pyramid. Um, stick with it, Kunal. That's all I'm going to say. It's very thick at some points, um, <laughs> but well, well worth a listen. Um, it's like a textbook almost, and that's not a, that's not a, like a slant on it. It's it, it's done in the right way in that sense. I think if it had been done just as a, a traditional novel, it might have struggled. But it you feel as if you're learning something with every page. I once heard a pundit that I was working. I won't say the pundit, but I once heard a pundit for the a radio station. Uh, who had Jonathan Wilson as a guest on in a pre-production show, shout the phrase, invert that fucking pyramid. Um, <laughs> Mark Saggers is hilarious. <laughs> it, unfortunately, it was not Saggers. Um, <laughs> but, Kristen, I'll tell you now, in, pyramid is not a talk sport word. It bloody um, isn't, though, is it? <laughs> what made each... This is a good question from Roman. Sorry, I'm just tacking these onto the end of the show. Roman Oseguera uh, says, what made each of you work, want to work in media? Hashtag I am the whole. Um, Dave, did you just did you want to work in media, or is it just so happened that your job happens to hit, therefore cross over with media? Yeah, I just I think I just fell into it, and obviously I enjoyed the banter that is engaged in the media sector, so that's why I stayed around. Good, good. Glad you're still around. Um, in many ways, you know, I like to feel like we've taken you under our wing. Um, yeah, you know, made Pull you into a in. better man. Um, Kristen, what are you saying? Uh, I was going to do psychology at university and then a girl I had a crush on at the time said she was doing journalism and I thought, oh, that sounds all right. So I decided to do that instead. Yeah. Uh, what Kristen's essentially saying is let your penis guide you in your career. Um, Brian Penis gets great advice. Your penis or, you know, other genitalia, whatever you have, uh, let it guide you. Um, I was going to do economics at university, was given the advice not to do that. Um they, they said, oh, by a careers advisor. By Brian Penis. <laughs> <laughs> they literally said, you're not good enough for that, Lawrence. Stay away from money. And I've consistently vowed ever since to stay away from money. Um, and as my career proves, no, um, no that's not the case. Uh, I, I just ended up not going to uh, Manchester University to do economics. I took a gap year and uh, worked at a radio station in that time, having done hospital radio for five years. This is turning into Alan Partridge's autobiography, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I then went to Hello. university. I did media, uh, so I was very clear about that. Media and communications, goldsmiths, uh, and then... The jewellers. <laughs> yes, it wasn't the top of my game. Um, and then uh, from, there, from there on out, just kind of uh, didn't fall into it, but, you know, took the football option because there's more to football than just... Um, than just football. Goals. Yeah, than just goals. And Brian Penis. <laughs> of course. And I believe that's what I'm going to put on my gravestone. <laughs> There's more, more life than Brian Penis. <laughs> There's more to life than football and penis. <laughs> you better hope nobody puts a rogue apostrophe in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, football apostrophe? Um, Mad that he was married for years. <laughs> <laughs> great guy great guy um anyway (laughs) (laughs) oh okay we're done here uh thanks a lot for joining us on the front three go online find me uh (laughs) l-o-z-c-a-s-t 
Thank you very much for drawing me. Uh, we'll see you again soon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.